Good morning. Good to see you today. Welcome. And would you turn your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And let's stand together again and read the Scripture. I'd like to read this entire section, 6 through 16. It's really all one piece, but we're going to break it up into several smaller pieces over the next few weeks. So let's read this section together and then we'll ask God's blessing on our study of His Word today. 1 Timothy 4, 6-16 If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come together today as Your people. And we have opened Your Word. And we are going to study Your Word together today and we ask that You would give us insight. That You would enable us to behold wonderful things out of Your Word. Father, I pray that You would humble us with this with this text, this, this model text, this, these marks of a good servant of Christ Jesus. And that You would help us to see clearly what it is to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And that You would convict us and may we run to Christ and His righteousness and depend upon Him and His strength to transform us into the image of Himself as good servants of Christ Jesus. And Father, we ask that You would do that through Your Word. Your Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces us deeply and discerns us even to the very thoughts of our hearts and its motive. And so we pray that You would discern us and let us see us ourselves for who we really are. May we come to You and Your Word and would You change us 
even in our very hearts, our priorities, our desires, that we would be a church filled with good servants of Christ Jesus. And that we would then faithfully be your, your pillar and buttress for the truth of Christ. And we pray in His name and for His glory. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. This text finds its center in this second phrase here in verse 6. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And the rest of the text goes to explain what it looks like to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And so really that's the main point, the main idea that I want to present to us as the body of Christ, as a local expression of Christ's body. I want to encourage all of us to diligently pursue becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus. Let me introduce this text to you this morning with a few questions. What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> That's a question often that, that more mature people ask young people. And if you're honest, what is the most common question that you, or the common, most common answer that you get? Huh? Okay, fireman. I think most, that's it. The most commonly today, and I do not mean this in a negative way toward anybody, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> and maybe the reason that that answer is given is because we have brought our children up asking the wrong question. We really shouldn't ask, what do you want to be? What should we ask them? Who do you want to become? And I always admire very much when I hear a young person say to me, well, I don't really know what job I'm going to do, but what I want to be is I want to be a husband someday. I want to be a wife. I want to have children. I want to... And, and they talk about the things that the Bible actually lays out for us as a goal for someone to become. Our culture has forced us into this concept that life is all about having a career, finishing a college degree and having a career, and then if you achieve that, you've made it, you're successful. And the Bible presents something very differently as success. And so I would encourage this text to all of us, because in so many ways, I still want to grow up. And all of us need to grow up. And the goal of growing up is to be like Christ, right? And so this text in 1 Timothy 4 really puts before us a facet of what it means to be like Christ in the body of Christ, and that is to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. So the next time, young people, someone asks you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Say, you've got the question wrong. <laughs> you should ask me who I want to be. I want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus if God will give me the grace to do so. But I think all of us, can see this text in that way. This is what I want to become by the grace of God. And I want you to know that, that as I share this text with you over the next several months, or next several weeks, I am going to, 
I am going to get ready. <laughs> you never know. And I'll tell you what, this, this message, you look in your outline and your notes, and there's two points, right? And I'm like, all right, I'm going to be able to preach through two points. The first point has four subpoints. The second has five. We're only doing the first point this morning. That's all I have notes for. And as I developed it, I was like, this is way more than what I thought was in this text. So, and I, and I, as I begin to study, I'm like, I've got to give this to you. This is way too good to keep to myself. So back to my point, as I'm sharing this with you today, I want you to know that I am preaching to myself and that I will be convicted and am and have been. And I see in myself failures from this text. And that I'll see more as we go. But that I'm going to be running to Christ and I invite you to run to Christ with me and to, and to see yourself in His righteousness if you are trusting in Him. And know that as you pursue with me what it means to become a good servant of Jesus Christ, that He will provide for you the grace you need for that becoming. So let's do that together. Second question I want to introduce this text with this morning is, what is a good servant of Jesus Christ? Just think of that, those two words for a moment with me, good servant. You know, there's lots of, uh, a few words in the Bible that are translated servant and when you look at them in the original languages, there's different words that are translated that one word, servant, in the New Testament. This word for servant is the same word that we've seen multiple times already. It's the word for deacon. Diakonos, a servant. And there's other words for servant in the New Testament, but this is the one the Holy Spirit chose for this text. And it's not talking specifically about the office of deacon that we've already talked about from chapter 3. It's talking generally about a good servant to the church of Jesus Christ. And the sense that is specific here is that there, it refers to someone who is useful and able and dependable for ministry in the body of Christ. That's what it's about. Another, another well-known word in the New Testament for servant, often translated servant, should be translated slave, is doulos. Right? That's the word for the lowest of the low slave in the, the household economy. And it talks about the person who doesn't live by their own will. They live by the will of their master. They're entirely subjected. They're entirely submitted to the will of their master. That is the sense of the word doulos. This sense is useful, able, dependable, diakonos. And so... That is what we are to pursue as a servant of Christ. I want to be able for ministry. I want to be able. I want to be useful. I want to be dependable in becoming a minister of Christ. And then the other word that we see here is the word good. And that's the same word that we've already seen two times in chapter 3. At the beginning, chapter 3, verse 1, where it says that the one who desires the office of an elder desires a what? Good task. And at the very end of chapter 3, when it's talking about the deacon, it's, it's, the, it's the bookends of chapter 3 when it's talking about elders and deacons, where it says that if the deacon serves in this way, he will gain for himself a what? A good standing. And so Paul is taking this chapter that he just gave you, marks of an elder, marks of a, of a deacon, and he says, this is all really good. And then he says, 
here's how you can become that good kind of servant of Christ Jesus. And so it encompasses a large swath of of a qualified servant in ministry. It's talking certainly to elders and deacons, right? Here's how you become the kind of elder that can qualify. It's a good task. Here's how you can become that good servant. Here's how you can become that good deacon who has a good standing. But I think it goes beyond that to also describe anyone who wants to serve in the body of Christ. And we'll talk about why that is. And so that's really the next question. To whom is this text directed? First of all, it's directed to Timothy. Paul is telling Timothy how to be a faithful leader in the church of Ephesus that is struggling greatly with false teaching and immorality in the church. How, how can he be who he is called to be here? There are many things, there, there are some things that you'll see as you go through this text that, that only an elder can do. Right? You're going to see some things there that only an elder can do, teaching the body of Christ as a whole. But there's much here that can be applied beyond Timothy and beyond elders and beyond deacons to also men who aspire to the office of elder and deacon. This is a fantastic chapter to show us, okay, if I want to aspire to the office of elder and deacon, what what should I aspire to? Well, here's a starting place. Pursue these things. And I think even beyond that, there's many things that can apply to serving believers. People as they, moms and dads, as they serve their own families in the body of Christ. Men and women, as they serve the family of God in many different settings. There is a, there is a, there's the greatest focus in this section on Timothy and elders. But so much of this can be applied beyond them to any servant of Jesus Christ. So I think this text holds a powerful motivating call to all of us as we seek to serve in the settings of ministry that God has entrusted to us. Think about your personal setting of ministry right now. It's your children, your grandchildren. Maybe you have a a small Bible study that you teach. Who has God placed into your spiritual care? And as we walk through these things, there will be some things that you can't do necessarily. but, But prayerfully think, how would Christ want me to apply these principles in the setting that He has called me to? And I have found these recent texts in 1 Timothy, both 3 and 4 here, to be quite riveting because they're filled with powerful reminders of who we are, again, as the church. And and what we're to be doing in the world as people of Christ and and His servants. These are powerful reminders. I'm I'm not going to tell you really anything new today. I'm going to remind you of things that you know and stress those things as the text does. And these sections can be quite arresting to me because so very often we, we can look at what they say we ought to be and ought to be doing, and then we look at our lives and we discover in many places that we are way off course. You ever have that sort of moment as you're reading the Scriptures? 
Almost as if like, wow, that's way too radical. I, I must be misunderstanding that. That can't be true. And you think the reason why you're seeing it that way is because our lives in this culture are so far sometimes from what they ought to be. And so we discover, man, I am way off course. I am quite out of bounds. It's an alarming aha moment. These texts are meant to humble us like that. And to bring us to repentance. To bring us to the sufficiency of Christ. And then to recenter us toward His purposes for our lives. And, and as we've said, th- these texts are directed toward an erring church. Right? Ephesus. Church of Ephesus was erring. Timothy was sent there to make correction. And, and so they say to us, look, this is where you're supposed to be. This is, this is where you are way over here. And this is how you can become who you are supposed to be and called to be in Christ. And isn't that the way the Scripture works on us anyway? 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof, telling us where we've gone wrong, for correction, helping us to come back to the way that is right, and for training in righteousness, to keep us going in the path of of God's will so that we can be complete and equipped for every good work. And so I think these texts can affect us deeply at a corporate level, like verses 14 through 16. In, in chapter 3, those are speaking to the church as a whole. But then this chapter 4 is very personal. It's Tim, Paul is talking to Timothy personally. And so through him, it can affect us as well on a very personal level. Let's diligently, by the grace of God, pursue becoming good servants of Christ Jesus. So the question that this text answers then is how? How does one pursue that? And so my outline um, this morning is, is two points. And we'll only look at the first point. How do we do that? One, put the truth before your family. We'll look at the verb there. This whole section, 6 to 16, is filled with several commands. And, and I'm going to organize them ultimately into eight. You'll hear is if you were to listen to different sermons preached on this, you'll hear people do different numbers and organize these in different ways. There's several commands. We're going to organize them as eight marks of a good servant of Jesus Christ. Here are the first two. Put the truth before your family, verse 6. Second, train yourself for godliness. That's verses 7 through 10. We'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. Number one, and the only point we'll do this morning, Lord willing, put the truth before your family. What does that mean? Well, look at the text. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Put before. Put these things before. Some other translations might have a different word there, but the idea is that is that we're to reg. Paul is telling Timothy, regularly remind the people of these things. Whatever these things are, which we'll talk about for a moment, put them before. Remind them. Consistently lay down the necessary instructions. 
counsel, and guidance day after day. Do this again and again regularly. It's like a chef. The idea there is like a chef who sets the table with food day by day, meal after meal for the people that he is caring for. Put before. It's an ongoing, regular, regular activity. Set the spiritual food before the people again and again, consistently, regularly. None of us, you think about it this way, none of us take one massive meal the day we're born and then we're good for the rest of our lives, right? That, that wouldn't work. We eat every day. Three times a day. Sometimes some of us eat more than three times a day. right? We're eating all the time. We're, we're feeding ourselves regularly. Day by day. And so, in order to live a healthy life, right? we eat meal by meal, day by day. This is how the servant of Christ is to put the Word of God before those entrusted to His care. And this command to put before is really a mild word. It's a gentle sort of activity that could even mean to suggest. And it seems to me that Paul's reason for using such a word is to encourage the servants of Christ toward one of two kinds of shepherding. There's two ways to shepherd people. There's two ways to guide people by instruction and correction. You can gently remind and instruct someone along the way of life, making small corrections to their errors from day to day, or you can neglect regular instruction and then be pressed to forcefully and harshly correct someone because there's a disaster on your hands. You understand those two kinds of shepherding. I mean, this is extremely applicable to parenting as well. Right? You can, you can be unengaged with teaching your children and then something goes wrong and the house blows up. Right? That's, that's Paul is saying, Timothy, don't shepherd the people of God that way. Give them little meals regularly and make small corrections along the way. Regular, positive instruction and small, gentle adjustments along the way is a far better form of shepherding than the absence of putting the Word before someone followed by a negative, large, forceful, and painful correction because there's a spiritual moral crisis. So the good servant of Christ will regularly, consistently, gently put the Word of God before those entrusted to His spiritual care. There's nothing in the, in the many facets of ministry that can replace that. This, this is part of what Paul wants to drive into Timothy's heart. Nothing can replace that continual, regular, gracious putting of God's Word before God, for the people of God. There's nothing more important than that. Think of it. That Word of God is that powerful seed by which God gives new birth and grows spiritual life. Maybe that's why Paul placed it first in this list of what it means to become a good servant of Jesus Christ. Put the Word before the people. Set the table day by day. But you know what? There are so many distractions from this main thing, isn't there? In the church today, and even in our homes. So many elders, including myself, are, success, are susceptible to distraction from the main thing. 
by other things. Even, even some good things. Running fun programs. Making sure everyone's happy. There's so many elders doing lots of that today in the body of Christ. Feeding the community out and about. Doing all kinds of great things in the community, right? Uh, and, and yet, doing things that unbelievers do as well. Nothing distinctly Christian. And thereby neglecting the main thing. Making emotional videos. Making feel-good videos to draw people in. Right? That, that somebody can be consumed with that. Providing entertainment. Developing a, a building program. Developing a presence on the radio or a TV or internet. Spending lots of time with people. That's a good thing to spend lots of time with people. But that can happen to the neglect of putting the Word before the people. Making sure the meeting place is in order. Making sure the finances are in order. Those are good things. They have to be done. But not the neglect of putting the Word before the people. Nothing can take the place of putting these things before the brothers. Let's take that to heart. Take to heart that the specific things here that the Holy Spirit has inspired into this text show us what a good servant of Christ Jesus truly is. And, and, and we need to let go of the other things that we think should make a good servant of Christ Jesus. And believe what the Spirit of God tells us. A good servant of Christ puts the Word before the brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God. That's not only true for elders, but Bible study leaders, both men and women. This can be applied to them too. Put the Word before your students. Parents, dads, moms, grandparents, put the Word before your children. Don't wait until there's a crisis of faith, or morality, or behavior. Put the Word before your children day by day, meal after meal. And you know, this, this priority also applies to, to those who come to hear the Word put before them. It is important that believers, just like children, develop an appetite for what is good, true nourishment. I always talk about, it's funny, my children are getting older, so then I begin to listen again to parents who have younger children and what struggles they have. And one of the main struggles, and all of you parents will agree, is mealtime. Right? That is a place where God sanctifies parents and helps children grow up. And there's a decision at every mealtime to make is will the child win and will they eat what they want to eat or will the child submit to the parent and say they're going to eat what's good for them. That, that is a great place for lots of growth for everybody. And you know what? When people come to Christ or when people come out of the the popular Christian culture, it is a struggle for their appetite to change. Do they long for what God says His people should eat? Would we let, would, 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 does God decide what the people eat? Or will we let the people decide what they want to eat? So many want feel-good, humorous, emotional, motivational talks. That's what they want to hear when they come to church. I remember, I remember years ago here when some, I remember a family left the church and they said, you know what, I don't feel like going back to school. 
Isn't that an interesting statement? I don't want to go back to school for Sundays. It's, it, it's not what I want to hear. So many want emotionally charged musical performances. Right? They want to go to a concert every morning. They want entertainment of all kinds. They want age-appropriate programs to keep media-intoxicated children occupied. Right? Short, fit-into-your-schedule venues with little to no personal involvement. They want free self-help, self-esteem counseling when life hits the fan. Right? That's not church at all. As, as I walk through these pastoral epistles, it's so interesting. People don't seem to want what the New Testament actually says church is. They want something entirely different. They want these things instead of, instead of preaching and teaching the Word of God with doctrinal depth. They, they don't, they, the Bible tells, talks about singing the Word in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that's, and that's a congregational uh, experience, not a performance. Seeing the Word through the Lord's Supper. Praying the Word together and confessing sin to one another. Holding each other accountable to the Word through church discipline and restoration. True spiritual fellowship in the Word. These are the things that make up the life of the New Testament church, not the other stuff. And these things must never be replaced. And that's why Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 4, 1-5, the good servant of Christ will labor to put the Word before His people. He says there in, in 2 Timothy 4, 1-5, preach the Word. Whether it's in season or out of season, right? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching doctrine. There will be a day when people will come and they want to put in front of them teachers that will make them feel good, right? Tickle their ears. Paul says, don't go there. Teach the word. Put these things before the brothers. So, how then does a servant of Christ put the word before the people? There's four words that can describe what this is, and we find them described in this text. <clears throat> Here's the four words. You can see them in your outline. Warn, teach, nourish, follow. Here's how the good servant of Jesus Christ puts these things before the brothers. Number one, or letter A, warn. Where's the idea of warning in this text? I don't see that word. Well, Notice what Paul says, the servant of Christ is to put these things. So we have to ask the question, what are these things? The most immediate referent of these things is what came in verses 1 through 5. What's in verses 1 through 5? Paul is warning through the inspiration of the Spirit. He's warning about the danger of what? Apostasy. Warning is such an important part of the ministry of the servant of Christ Jesus. Remember Paul? He says in Colossians 1, 28-29, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Did you hear what Paul said? 
warning everyone. That is an important ingredient to the maturing of the saints. Warning. What are we to warn people about? Well, warn them about what is coming if they don't trust in Christ. Warn them about what is ahead if they wander from the truth of the Gospel. Warning is so important. Think about it. Solomon, with the wisdom of God in the book of Proverbs, was constantly setting before his son these comparisons. Proverbs is filled with these comparisons. And he says, if you, if you choose the way, for example, of the sluggard, the lazy person, I warn you, my son, here's what will come. Right? If you choose the way of the diligent, here's the future. You decide, son. But take my word to heart. Warning is so valuable. It's telling people what is coming according to God's Word. And why would Solomon so warn his son like that over and over and over and over throughout the book of Proverbs? Why? Because he loves his son, right? You warn people if you love them. Why? Because you don't want them to experience the end of that warning. And a good servant of Christ will warn those under his care if he loves them. But warning isn't popular, is it, today? We want... And so many just want to be affirmed. Just want to be affirmed. They don't want to be warned. It's not comfortable. It's, but it's necessary. And it's loving. We tend to want to make people feel good about themselves so that they feel good about us. And warning someone doesn't fit into those feelings most of the time. But if we will be good servants of Christ, we will deny ourselves and lay down our lives for others and warn them in love. Elders, elders must be warning their people about the false hope. For example, the false hope of self-righteousness, which was in the text previous. Timothy, I'm sure, warned the Ephesians about this. Warned them about the false hope of self-righteousness or, or human government or social reform or, or so many other things that people have their hopes set on this day. Elders are to warn their people about those things, for example. Bible study leaders must be warning their students along the way about the latest, for example, Jesus Calling book on Amazon's bookshelf. Or how about the, uh, the Shack book or other things that, that have swept so many people into their grasp and led them into lies. Parents must be warning their children about the end of the path or refusing to take truth into the heart or, or trying to satisfy oneself with the offerings of this world, for example. You know, you don't have to, no one has to be mean while they're warning. You can warn people through tears. In fact, the way that his, the, the, the Proverbs father warns his son, he says, Son, I what? I urge you, give me your heart. Take up the Father's attitude and even words in the book of Proverbs as we warn those God puts under our care to avoid the path of destruction and by God's grace walk in the way of life. All of us are called to warn unbelievers. That's an important part as you share the Gospel. 
you can share, if you share the gospel without warning someone, you're really not telling them any reason for being saved. Right? You're warning them like, like the evangelist coming to the city of destruction in Pilgrim's Progress. What was his warning? Flee from the wrath to come. That's real. And if we, if we, if we remember what truly the wrath to come is, it will urge us to warn people with brokenness and earnestness and urgency. Flee to Christ. Flee from the wrath of to come, right? The first part of putting these things before the brothers is to warn. Very, very important. It's, it's the most immediate reference to these things. Verses 1-5 through is a warning. A good servant of Christ Jesus will warn those whom He loves. Now, warning should not be done all the time. <laughs> it's also important that teaching be done. In fact, warning comes best in the context of positive instruction and teaching. How does a servant of Christ put the Word before His people? He must warn them. Second, letter B, He must teach them. These things doesn't only include verses 1-5, through which is a warning, but the rest of Paul's letter as well. Paul is teaching Timothy and the church in Ephesus how to behave as the household of God. He's giving positive, clear instruction and encouragement for their spiritual progress. Teaching is also certainly implied in the phrase putting these things before the brothers. You see, the good servant of Christ Jesus doesn't want to just protect His people from error. He also wants to provide them with healthy spiritual nourishment in the Word. You know, it's, it's not a real good instructive relationship when all we have with our children is a, is a relationship of correction. Right? That, that can go bad places. We need to also have a full relationship of them with positive instruction. Again, if you, if you were to take all of the warnings in Proverbs and put them next to all of the positive encouragements, the positive encouragements are far more in the book of Proverbs than the warnings. But warnings are necessary. But they're not the main thing of what we do. We teach. We teach the Word of God. Again, that's what Paul says. Warning and teaching with wisdom to present every man mature in Christ. That was Paul's method of ministry. Again, that dual nature of, of, of putting these things before the brothers is in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. For the Word of God is profitable for teaching, also reproof and correction, and for training in righteousness. It's important that the ministry of every good servant of Christ isn't all about warning and exposing error. I'm making a point of this because there are, there are many ministries today, especially on the internet, that, that, is, that are unhealthy because they're all about what they're against. Do you see what I mean? They're all about what they're against. The good servant of Christ must be known for what he is for, and he will be for the truths of Christ. And he spends much time putting these things before the brothers by teaching the Word. Those two major aspects. Warning and teaching. Now, I think this text shows us two aspects that should be a part of teaching. And, I, and I'm drawing these two aspects right from the last part of verse 6, which we'll look at more closely in just a moment. But notice what Paul says to Timothy that he should be trained in himself 
And I think those two things are then what overflow from Timothy to then put before the brothers as well. He says in the what words of the faith and of good doctrine. Very interesting phrases. And it's two things there that Paul gives. The words of the faith and of the good doctrine. What are those? Well, it's, it's interesting to see that original word in a plural form. Words of the faith. And, and what it seems to be referring to is the words of Jesus Christ and the apostles. I'm not going to go through the arguments of why I came to that conclusion or what the commentary said on that, but I think it's a pretty obvious thing. Words of the faith. The words of our Christian faith. The words that we we base our faith on. The words that make up the objective faith of the Gospel. The words of Christ. The words of the apostles. We are to teach the words of Scripture verse by verse as they've been given to us by divine inspiration. And the second thing, very important part, good doctrine. The words of Scripture, good doctrine. Systematic theology. If you like systematic theology, here's your, here's your uh, biblical support of teaching systematic theology. I think everybody should like systematic theology. Fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith that have been derived from the teaching of Scripture. It's important to have both those kinds of teaching through the Word of God and then the doctrines that are the foundation of our faith that are derived from the Word of God. Very, very important. We must give those we are teaching the words and the doctrines. Absolutely essential. Over the years that I have been in in vocational ministry, I have tried to find, to my own shame, I have tried to find a discipleship curriculum for men that would adequately cover all of the most important issues for spiritual maturity that would be very accessible to men. I have looked through so many things. I've had people send me you know, free videos and all kinds of stuff. I see you guys smiling. It's great. You're right on the same page with me. And what I found is that I always came back to the same conclusion. Stop looking for that discipleship curriculum. Guess what? You have it already. Just teach the men through the books of the Bible and deduce from those books as you teach them the doctrines that are the foundation of our faith. That's how you make disciples. It's not rocket science. It's there. It's ready for us. There's nothing better. The words and the doctrines that come from those words, there's nothing more accessible, nothing more effectual, nothing more applicable than simply going through books of the Bible with someone you are discipling. Take that to heart, dear ones. And as you do that with someone, you prayerfully walk through life with them and address one another's life issues as they come up with powerful, applicable doctrines from the words. You see, you're walking through life teaching someone a book of the Bible and life is going to happen. God and His providence will bring circumstances into their lives. And as you're walking through that positive instruction together, you will then find just what you need to apply to the situation at hand. You're already living in the Word together. The doctrines are there. That's discipleship. That's teaching. That's 
what a good servant of Christ is to do. You put before those in your spiritual care the words and the doctrines. Elders must teach God's people the words and the doctrines. That's what an elder does. Teach people book by book, letter by letter, word by word, doctrine by doctrine, whether by public preaching or private discipleship. Bible study leaders, teach your students the words of faith and of doctrines. There's a place for going through Christian books on different aspects of the spiritual life, but only if those books point you back to the words of faith and explain those words to you. Parents, teach your children the words of faith. Don't rely upon family ministries to do that for you. The family ministry is here to assist you, but not to take your place. That is a distinctive of our, of our faith family here. Teach your children through the books of the Bible and give them sound, systematic theology. There are so many good resources available to help you with that. By the grace of God, make time for this and fight against the lesser things that would seek to steal that time away from you. A good servant of Jesus Christ puts these things before the brothers by warning, by teaching. Now thirdly, before a servant of Christ can warn or teach someone else, there's something that a good servant of Christ must be active with for themselves. What is it? They've got to nourish themselves, train themselves. Letter C, train or nourish is what I have. That's actually a better I think, literal translation of that word. Look what Paul says to Timothy. If you put these things, put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Put these things before them being trained. It's an accompanying activity. You can't put these things before the brothers if you're not being trained in the words and the doctrines that you have followed, Timothy. Being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine. The words being trained literally mean to nourish up in. And metaphorically mean to educate and form the mind. And this word clearly communicates an ongoing, continual practice. A good servant of Christ Jesus must feed himself before he can feed others. He must be nourishing himself or herself before he can provide spiritual nourishment to others. And, and what must be continually nourished up in? Like we said earlier, the words of the faith and doctrines. The words of Christ and the apostles, systematic theology, fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith that have been derived from the teaching of Scripture. A good servant of Christ Jesus is a diligent student of the Word of God, and he or she is. They're lifelong. Before he puts a meal of the Word on the table before others, he must first prepare it in the kitchen and eat it for himself. He reads the Word for himself. He prays over the Word himself, for himself. He seeks for the Word to convict him. He seeks for the Word to comfort him. He labors to apply the Word to his mind and life. He labors to make the Word part of his character. And then he puts it before those he loves for their nourishment. If you're going to be a good servant of Jesus Christ, you must be constantly or consistently seeking to nourish yourself in the words and the doctrines. 
Do you see how Paul is explaining this to Timothy? It makes sense. To do that, you must take in good food. You have to read. You have to listen. Meditate on good biblical resources. The Word of God. Let the truth be continually feeding your soul, dear ones. No more excuses. No more jumping around from app to app, reading program to reading program, and blaming some external system that didn't keep you on track. It's not going to work. Just get down to good eating by the grace of God. By the grace of God, don't be like the man in Proverbs 26, 13-16. There it's talking about a lazy person, literally. The lazy person makes excuses. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. That's one of my favorite verses, right? I can't go to work today. There's a lion out there. Nobody believes him, right? Or as the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Gives you great mental pictures. I love Proverbs, right? The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. Sorry, some of these make me laugh. I just picture this kid with a bowl of cereal and a spoon, and he's like, his face is up, and he can't bring the spoon back up to his mouth, right? It's, it wears him out. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. That's what happens. Most of us take great diligence to feed ourselves physically. But do we take that same diligence to feed ourselves spiritually and and consequently be able then to feed and disciple others in the Word as well? May God's grace enable us with diligence to get down to good eating. I would ask this of you who have been believers a long time and yet still feel completely unable to teach someone else from God's Word. Is it because you have not been nourishing yourself in the words of the faith and sound doctrine? If you're nourishing yourself, you're going to be able to give something to others that are under your spiritual care. May the Holy Spirit make us good servants of Christ Jesus who are nourished up in the Word. And to nourish yourself, you have to avoid junk food, right? Not just that we've got to eat good food. We've got to avoid junk food. Look at verse 7. It comes right on the heels of verse 6. It says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. I will talk more specifically about that verse next Sunday about what those words mean, irreverent, silly myths. But for now, we'll just mention that that is also a contrast to what comes before. Trained up, nourished up in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. That's a fitting contrast If you're going to be nourished up in the Word, then you will need to to cut some things out of your mental, spiritual diet. As I said, I'm not going to be specific, but think about this. Let me ask you this question. What silly, useless, empty, even harmful information do you allow your mind to digest that seems to leave you too full and too tired 
to nourish yourself in the words of faith and doctrine. You tell me what it is. You tell yourself what it is. I can't be your conscience for you. The Lord has convicted my heart of things. What silly, useless, empty, even harmful information do you allow your mind to ingest that seems to leave you too full and too tired to nourish your mind on the Word of God, the words of faith and doctrine? How can you expect to eat a complete and healthy meal when you've snacked on a family-sized bag of Cheetos beforehand? Right? I like Cheetos. I don't have anything against Cheetos. They have like yellow five in them and all that stuff, whatever. I like them too. But how much longer will we spend so many wasted hours on silly, worthless mental preoccupations that have too often pushed out time and energy to nourish ourselves on the Word? What's your junk food? I have my junk food. What's your junk food? This is serious, beloved. Because out of this, if we feed ourselves well, we'll be able to put these things before the brothers and make disciples. You see? There's a domino effect here. What keeps you from nourishing yourself on the words and doctrines of faith? I pray that Christ will cause our spiritual taste buds to be repulsed by junk food. By spiritual junk food. And and that we would crave the meat of the Word so that we will be a people who are nourishing themselves in the words of doctrine. The words of Scripture in order to be to, to, to set these things before others and make disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is essential to holding firm and holding high the truth. Remember, we're the pillar and the buttress as the church. The pillar and the buttress cannot be the pillar and the buttress unless we are nourishing ourselves on the words of the faith and of good doctrine. Get into the Word, dear ones. Nourish yourself. Prepare meals for others and then make disciples. Some of you, some of you, I know this, some of you study God's Word and listen to sermons by taking notes and then reworking those notes on your own time into a simple, clear order so that you can give those truths to others when the Lord gives you the opportunity. God bless you for that. That's golden. That's one way to nourish yourself. That's being an obedient servant of Christ Jesus according to this text. I praise the Lord for you. God is going to use you. That's the point of gathering on Sundays is then then being able to take what we've equipped ourselves with and give it to others. Nourishing up yourself. Putting these things before the brothers. So important. Elders must not avoid teaching and warning others because they are not nourished up themselves. That is what elders do. Think of this. You who God would call you to be an elder, nourish yourselves to teach others. Elders must not come to class unprepared or walking through thoughts and materials without having first stirred them together and baked them in the oven of meditation and prayer. That's not safe. right? You wouldn't do that for, for your guest coming over to your house and give them an uncooked dinner. right? To be a good servant of Christ Jesus, we must nourish ourselves in the Word and, and cook it within our own hearts before we put it before the brothers and sisters in Christ. Dads, moms, maybe the reason why you've not faithfully, nobody does this perfectly, we all fall short, but 
Maybe the reason why you've not been able to faithfully bring the Word before your family is because you are not nourished up on the Word yourself. Could that be the reason? Brothers, when you are nourished up and full with the Word, you long then to share it with others. That's how it works. When the Word has done its work in you, and is doing its work in you, and and revealed God and Christ in glory to you, then you have a good meal that you can spread before those you love. You want to do that. It's a delight and a joy. You can't contain yourself. Get nourished up in the Word yourself, and then you'll be able to feed your family faithfully. Finally this morning, there's one more aspect to putting the truth before your family. brothers. As the text tells us, the brothers, as a good servant of Christ Jesus, it's the last word in verse 6. Paul says to Timothy, put these things before the brothers. You'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, trained up or nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. That you have followed. Letter D, follow. Or that you have been following. This, this word literally means to always be at the side of someone. You have someone that follows you around and they're just right here all the time and you turn around and try to do something else and you bump into them. They're following you. To trace the course of someone or something. To follow closely. To accompany them. Metaphorically, it, it means to follow a matter up to examine it thoroughly, to investigate it, to follow faithfully, and to conform oneself to that standard or rule. Paul is encouraging Timothy that he has lived his life hanging closely right there at the side of the words of faith and sound doctrine. And that he has made them his own. He's made them his own path of life and conformed his life to those words and truth. Timothy began following very early on in his life, under the ministry of his mother and grandmother, and then eventually the Apostle Paul. And that's so instructive to us here. Second Timothy 3, 14-15 says, But as for you, Paul's still talking to Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul tells Timothy, follow the pattern. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That is the pursuit of every good servant of Christ Jesus. To live hand in hand with the words and the doctrines and to allow the words and doctrines to shape the way we think, speak, emote, and act. You know, again, this is why meditation is so important, beloved. Nourishing yourself, because then you begin to think, wow, if that's true, as the Bible says it's true, if this, if this thought is true, then, then this part of my life is inconsistent with this, isn't it? 
You begin to see how your thinking and living and acting and your words become inconsistent with these words and doctrines that you are believing and you're learning. And, and that begins to work its way through your life and you're like, God, make my life, my words, my thoughts, my actions consistent with the truth. Let me follow these things. It's more than just mentally following the right doctrines. It's a seeking to pattern your life according to the Word of God. If you do not seek to do this, then you know what? You, you in, and, and still you insist on speaking truths without, by God's grace, laboring to seek to pattern your life after the truth, then, then you will do a, gris, a great disservice to the truth. You see that? You will live a life that discredits the very truth that you speak. You will run the risk of discouraging those in your spiritual care and convincing them that by your life, by the, by the inconsistency of your life, that the truth you speak is not powerful to save and not genuine. Those who set the Word before others and yet do not seek to live lives that follow the Word will end up serving the cause of the evil one as he works to make apostates, just like verses 1-5 through explain. It's a very important thing. That's why Paul says at the very end of this section, notice in verse 16, Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. One eye on yourself, one eye on the teaching. God, make these come together and, and, and be consistent. It's all by the grace of God. Every good servant of Christ Jesus must follow the words and the doctrines that he nourishes himself in and, and, and puts them before the brothers. Dear ones, this must be our diligent pursuit, whether, whether we are elders or deacons or men desiring to become elders and deacons, or youth class teachers, or Bible study leaders, moms, dads, grandparents. There is something here for all of us that we would become good servants of Christ Jesus by the grace of God. May it be so for us by the power of the risen and ascended Christ. In conclusion this morning, Diligently pursue becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus. How does one do that? Put the truth before your family. Before your brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we do that? Warn, teach, nourish, follow. This is first and foremost the responsibility of elders, but also every believer who is making disciples. Now, not one of us has this all together. Are you with me? Not one of us. There's so much here. There really is. We all fall short. Becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus is a lifelong pursuit for a believer. Diligently pursue becoming. That's why I put it that way. I think that's what Paul is communicating. So begin. May we begin to apply this text today by one, confessing your sin and failure. Right? We come before the text. It's God's Word. And we're convicted by it. Confess it. Don't, don't cover it. Don't, don't excuse it. Don't say I'm too busy. Don't say I, I'm just not that kind of Christian. That's a good excuse. right? 
No. Or I'll, I'll leave those responsibilities to my wife. No. Or, or someone else in the church can do that. No. God is speaking to you through His Word. Confess. Confess it to God. I'm not who I ought to be. Rest in the perfect righteousness and atonement of Christ. That's the second thing. Right? That's how we respond to this text. Christ, you were the perfect servant. And you live perfectly like that for me. No condemnation now I dread. Right? Jesus and all in Him is mine. Right? When you see your sin for what it is, the only place you can go to find comfort is Christ. His righteousness is yours. His atonement was for you who are trusting in Christ. But then, don't stop there. Make plans to pursue becoming a good servant of Jesus Christ in this way, like the text says. Make some plans. Reorder your day. Reorder your week around becoming a good servant of Jesus Christ in these specific ways as we walk through them. Matthew 6.33 says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. It's a matter of faith to make these things a priority because it will cut out some earthly things that you have to trust God to provide for you. You see? That's how it works. And then trust, number four, so confess. Number two, rest. Number three, make some plans. But as you make those plans, don't make them in your own strength. Rest in the, or trust, number four, in the, in the powerful provisions of grace coming from the risen and ascended Christ by His providence and through the Holy Spirit as you take each step of obedience. That's obeying by faith. You see how that works? You know, when you, when you trusted Christ, for the very first time, you believed His Word that if you placed your faith in Jesus and what He provided for you, that you would be justified. Now, sanctification works the same way in many ways. You trust. You see the, you see the call to obedience. And you know that there is no condemnation over you, but you still see the call to obedience. And then you move into you, you're, the plans that you're making to obey those, trusting that God will provide all that you need to be successful in your obedience. You're still trusting in Christ. 100% of it. Trust Him. Trust that God will change your heart along the way. He'll give you what you need along the way. That's obeying by faith. And then five, turn your eyes to eternity, looking beyond the things of this world by asking the Holy Spirit to press into your heart a ruling passion to hear those words from your Master. What? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's, that's what it's all about. The day we see Jesus. If we become good and faithful servants of Christ, he sa- and He says that to us, it will all be His doing and for His glory. Maybe you have desired to nourish yourself and to put these things before those in your care, but you're just not sure how to get started. Okay, if you would like very specific help with nourishing yourself in the Word and putting the Word before those in your care, would you please come and talk with me or email me? There's someone here that can help you. Don't, don't be ashamed or embarrassed about that at all. People took me in their hands 
and helped me begin. Right? That's what we all need. We need some people around us to help us to begin. How do I feed myself in a way that's sustainable? How do I learn to feed others in a way that's sustainable? We want to do everything we can to help one another. But the Lord would enable us to help each other very practically. But, but on the other hand, maybe you look at your life and, and honestly you would say that you have no appetite for God's Word. And you really don't have any desire to share it with others. Is that you? Would, you? would you reckon honestly with yourself there? I have no appetite for God's Word. And I really don't care to share it with others. Dear friend, listen to me. It's very likely then that you are not alive spiritually. And you still need to be born again. Just like the Apostle Peter says. He illustrates it by a newborn baby, right? Are newborn babies hungry? If they're alive, they're hungry. That which gives them life, sustains their life, and they long for it. If you don't have any of those appetites, you need to ask yourself, am I alive spiritually? Paul Peter says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation if there's a condition. You will be hungry if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's talking about the goodness of God in salvation. If you've tasted that goodness, then you want more of the same. You see? That's how it is in the spiritual life. So if that's you, again, there are people here that can help you to, to look into God's Word and know that you are alive spiritually. Don't put those kinds of questions off. You need to know. You need to know. And Christ is a willing, eager Savior. Look what it says right in our text at the end of verse 10. We have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. What a broad invitation that is, right? We'll talk about that, Lord willing, next week. But God loves to save. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Our Heavenly Father, we come before You as Your children washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we come confessing that we fall short of being good servants of Christ Jesus. We have made so many other things more important than that pursuit. And we thank You that You have been merciful and gracious with us in Christ. We confess it though. And so Father, help us. Give us strength. Our, our salvation is a precious thing. Help us to live from the good gifts that You have given to us that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We rest in Your forgiveness through Christ, but we also ask that You would enable us with the power that You have and that You raised Christ with and that You fill us with through the Spirit. You would enable us by that power 
to pursue this life of obedience to becoming good servants of Christ Jesus. Father, that you would use us to put these things before others, that many would be brought into your kingdom, that you would be glorified by our lives, that you would be glorified by the salvation of sinners. And I pray again this morning for the, the, the one that, that is in hearing of these words that, that doesn't know you. They have no spiritual appetite, no desire for these things. Father, would you send the quickening ray, the, 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 the ray of your, your resurrection power to awaken their spirit and to give them for the first time that breath of air. Fill their lungs, as it were, with your life. And let them hunger and thirst for righteousness because they have tasted of Christ and found Him to be better than anything else they've ever tasted in the world. Father, do this in our church. Do this in our community for Your glory, for the glory of Your Son. Time is short. You're coming soon. The world is wicked. We are weak apart from you. And so, Father, there is an urgency about these things. Press into us the urgency. And may we seek you first in your righteousness and trust you to provide all that is needed for that. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.